0: Be in John chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, if you're going off of your phone or tablet or whatever you're using to get into God's Word, we're going to be in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right before the book of Acts. If you weren't able to be with us last week, we are really continuing what began last week in our look at Jesus healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda uh, at the sheep gate. And the healing uh, begins in the, the chapter of John chapter 5, at the very beginning. And from this healing, it was on the Sabbath, which caused a little bit of controversy with the religious leaders uh, whom John refers to as the Jews in his gospel. Um, This healing, it broke their sabbatical laws. It broke their regulations. And so they go to find Jesus and they want to know, who are you? to give instructions to another individual and by what authority do you have that you can instruct another individual to do the things that you instructed him to do which was carrying his own mat through the city uh, streets of jerusalem and what is amazing about that event is the jewish leaders were not in awe and they were not amazed that jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years they were more concerned with how this was interrupting their own life and how it had broken their laws and so jesus replies to their accusations against him in verse 17 of john chapter 5 that my father is working until now and i am working which was jesus way of stating his equality with god and by whose authority he was instructing this man and by what power he was able to heal this man but it's because of jesus's words which the, the jews the jewish leaders understood it led them to have in their heart a desire to kill jesus which isn't a great image you want of religious people uh, wanting to kill another individual uh, but they saw jesus breaking their laws and because they were breaking he was breaking their laws they could not see their hard heart towards the things of god they could not see their own sinful nature that they were in fact in in view of violation of god's law when it says you shall not murder but the outlook of the religious leaders is just a nice little lesson to us that no matter how religious no matter how righteous we claim to be or think we are when we are more concerned with our own ideals that we can become blind to what god is doing and even deaf to what god is trying to say to us in our passage this morning jesus does not back down from a fight He's not afraid of these men and the authority that they claim to have in God and claim to have over the people. And so, what we're going to see this morning, we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. We're going to see seven statements about Jesus' authority and his identity and how these seven statements relate to us as Christians and believers. And if you do the math, I don't want you to freak out like my son Ethan did when he got here and he saw all the slides, because you're thinking, 14-point sermon? It's going to go quick, trust me. But to understand who Jesus is, Jesus does this in chapter 5, verse 19-29. through And giving him the understanding of who he, he is, we then find out who we are to be in him. One word we learned over the Wednesday Night Live and the adult Bible study in our many deep theological words, right, adults? Deep theological words? Yeah. One was Christology. Now, Christology is the study of the nature and character of Christ. And in our passage, Jesus reveals seven characters and natures of his identity. Our focus this morning is the Christian distinction. Because what Jesus here says about Himself and therefore is applied to us makes Christianity and all Christians different, set apart from any other religion we can find in this world. So let's read our passage and we'll walk through it. The Word of the Lord says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these He will show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. Lord, I thank You through all the things we've gone through in life that You have been faithful and You have been constant. And that's why we know it as well you know that we don't understand every aspect of life we don't understand the heartache times we don't understand the the times of doubt and worry and confusion but lord you have been that solid rock in the midst of it our anchor within the storms but I thank you for our mothers and the mothers you've placed in our life and the mother-like figures you have placed in our life to guide and lead us and to pray over us and lord we come before you because you are our father and we are your children we ask that by Your mercy and grace, Your Spirit would open the Scriptures that we would draw near to Your presence, not only to know who Your Son is, who our Savior is, Lord, but to know who we are in You. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today that we would all come to a deeper understanding and a deeper awe and wonder of who You are. And Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not know You as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that your word would speak to them, your spirit would convict them, and this would be the day of their salvation. I pray that you alone would be glorified in this time, that you alone would receive honor, and that your kingdom alone would come. So remove me out of the way and just speak to all of our hearts. We need to hear from you and no one else. And praise all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if someone were to ask you, who is Jesus? Who is the Christ? How would you respond? Son of God. Savior. Savior. Creator. The Almighty. King of of kings. I'll just add Lord of Lords on the back of that. How about it? If someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? How would you respond? Christ follower. follower. What's that? Christ-like. Child of God? Forgiven. forgiven. In our passage this morning, Jesus is wanting even his enemies to know who he is. Wanting his enemies to be able to see past the flesh that stood before them to understand his equality with God, his authority with God, his power of God right in their midst. And some say that this is the first major articulation of Jesus Christ and His claim to His relationship with God. And when we think about who Christ is, the reality is, the Bible says that we are to be imitators of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. We, as God's people, are to walk as Christ walked. So when Jesus defines who He is in relation to the Father... He is also giving us information in our relation to who Christ is, and we as a Christian are God's people. And so how Jesus defines Himself has a direct result on our definition as being a follower of Christ. Within this passage, Jesus says truly, truly three different times, verse 19, 24, and 25. This is the first Three times of 25 times within the Gospel of John that Jesus uses this phrase. It literally means amen and amen. And when Jesus begins anything by saying truly, truly, it is something we as a reader of the Gospel and people within His original audience, He is telling them, you better take note of what I'm getting ready to say and pay very special attention because this is of great importance. Jesus is telling these Jewish leaders and anyone who else is listening, He's saying, look, I am going to tell you the truth. And that's the beauty of God's Word. That's the beauty of who Jesus Christ is, is no matter how hard it is to understand and no matter how hard it is to hear, it is always going to be the truth. And Jesus' audience was not ready for what He was going to lay out before them in revealing His nature and His equality with God. What we hear from God's Word sometimes goes against everything that we've grown up believing. What you hear from God's Word, His spoken Word to your heart, is going to go against everything that this culture is standing for, but it is always going to be truth. And this is why God can be trusted. The first thing that we need to understand about Jesus comes from verse 19. He says, The Son can do nothing of His own accord. Jesus is dependent upon the Father. Everything we read about Jesus doing, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything we read about Him doing as far as His healing on the Sabbath, His mingling with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, His forgiving of sins, All of Jesus' actions was completely reliant upon the Father. Jesus is telling these Jews, these leaders, this is why I do what I do, and this is by the authority that I do it. It's because I do everything in dependence upon the Father. He's wanting these leaders to look beyond what they could see and understand what God was doing in their midst. When we come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5.1 says we are to be imitators of God. 1 John 2.6 says we are to walk in the same manner that Christ walked. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we are to have the mind of Christ. And so the application for us when Jesus says that He is dependent upon the Father means that we are to be dependent upon the Father. If we are a Christian, if you are a Christian, if that is how you define yourself, it means that you are a little Christ Christ. You are following Christ's footsteps. You are imitating what He has done. And just as Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, was dependent upon the Father, so we as God's people, who are plagued by a sinful nature that He wasn't, must be completely dependent upon who God is. The Bible says that God is the giver of all things. God is the one who provides our nourishment, He, for, he Provides our means to live, our rest, our protection. He provides the foods in our bellies and the water we drink. To be dependent upon the Father means we are completely reliant upon Him. I think that's hard for us to overcome. Because sometimes we're tempted that we're reliant upon the paycheck that comes whenever it comes to you. Sometimes we feel that we're reliant upon that next meal maybe that drink of water, maybe the shelter from the storm that came through last night. We've become reliant upon all these other things, but the Bible says no, because all of these things come from the hand of the Father, so our reliance and dependence has to be completely on who He is. I find it funny that how many electronic devices I have. You know, I've got a watch, I've got a phone, I've got an iPad, I've got a computer. And every single night before I go to bed, I plug all these things in. I even have headphones that I plug in in case I got a mower or I want to go for a run the next day. And I, I laugh at it because I feel like a cyborg. I got so many things I'm attached to that need electricity. But I want, when I wake up the next morning, I want them to work the way they're supposed to work. But the only way they can work is if they have the electricity to make them function to do their purpose. You know, someday, and you may not be in agreement with it, but someday I imagine we're all going to have an electric car at some point. I don't know if you like that idea or not, but it's probably going to happen maybe 100, 200, 300 years from now. But we're relying upon plugging things in. Your phone has to work if it has electricity. It, It can only function if it has the charge it needs. You can only do the things you can do with it if you have properly taken care of it the day before. In the same manner, we are dependent upon plugging into the Father so we can function. We can't get through a day, a minute, a second without the presence of the Father and our complete dependence upon Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. We only exist through the source, which is the Father. Ethan, throw up those passages of scripture. Philippians 4 9 tells us that God is the one that supplies every one of our needs. God is the supplier of our needs. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Every good gift is from God. Psalm 31 19 says that God is our help. Genesis 22.14 tells us that God is our provider. Psalm 107.9 says God is our satisfaction. Genesis 15.1, God is our shield. All wealth and honor come from God. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, says God is our guide. Deuteronomy eight seven God is the one who fights for us. David understood that when he faced Goliath. He says this battle belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.18, God is the one who gives us the power He's the one who gives us the strength to make it through the day. Psalm 68 and 18, God is our benefactor. Psalm 37, 4, God is the one that gives us the desires of our heart. And the list goes on. Because we as God's people are completely reliant upon who God is and what God provides for us. This is why the psalmist says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And I have no good apart from you. We are dependent on God because He is our everything. When Jesus says that He was dependent upon God, that he could do nothing on his own accord, he's telling these Jewish leaders that He is completely submissive to the Father. Everything He does is in coexistence to the Father's will. And this is another attribute of Jesus. Jesus does the will of the Father the end of verse 19 but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does the son does likewise god's will is what god wants that's a simple way to to define it when you think about god's will the literal translation is god's desire so when we say what is god's will we're saying what does god desire Our God has desires, which makes sense why we have desires as human beings, because we're created in His image and His likeness. The problem is, is our desires are impacted. They're infected with the sinful natures, which God's aren't. And God's desires, God's will, His want, will always come to be. It is ultimately going to happen whether we want it or not. Nothing in this world, nothing in all creation can overpower or overthrow the will and desire of God. And Jesus said, He sees what the Father is doing, therefore the Son does likewise. The will and desire of God determines all things in life. God willed creation. It was His desire to create and when God looked at creation that had become plagued by sin, it was God's desire for you to send his son to die for you. That was God's will. He desired for you to be restored into a relationship with him. Just think about that. You are God's desire. You are part of his will because God loves you. He wants you. He has fought for you. And He has won the victory over you. And all of God's will is going to come to completion in what the Bible refers as the day of judgment. But there's two types of will we're going to experience in life. There's free will and there's God's will. As a believer, as a Christian, it has to be our utmost desire, our perseverance, our endurance, our goal and our aim to align the free will that God has gifted us with to align that to His will, so that our desires are what reflect God's desires. See, Jesus did the will of the Father, and we're to imitate Jesus. That means we are to be doing the will of the Father. Someone once wrote, your profession, your job, your occupation is to do the will of God and to be a strong witness for Christ no matter where God places you. Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 35, for whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. In Ephesians, we're told to live our life not to please men or even to gain people's attention, but we are to live our life in the will of God from the heart. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, we are instructed in God's Word to stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says that God's will... Is for our sanctification. That word sanctification means God's desire for you and for me is that we would be set apart from this world. We would be different. We would live a holy life that is pleasing to Him. That's what God's desire is for you, is to separate you from this world that is fading and passing away and dying, that you would live the life that God has called you to. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 it says that the will of God is that we would give thanks in all circumstances. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 we're instructed that we are to live in God's will. And when we live in God's will and his desires, we will silence the talk of unbelievers by the good that we produce in our life or the fruit in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, we are instructed through the Word of God. As believers, we are to live our life in God's will, no longer satisfying the sinful flesh or the sinful nature. We are to be about God's will. And to know God's will, God tells us how to do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern or you may know what is the will of God. So, if I want to know what God's desire is for me, and I want my life to be in God's desire for my life, then the only way I can know that, the only way I can be sure of that, is if I am in God's Word. I cannot be renewed in my mind unless it is the Word of God that is speaking to my mind and my heart. And it should be our desire, it should be our aim, that everything we do is in harmony with God's desire. What is God's ultimate desire? Well, He tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. How does God want to do that? through you and me, to those who say that we are Christians. God wants to fulfill His will through our lives. And how is God going to do that through us? By preaching His Word, which is renewing our mind. The Bible says that this world is passing away along with all of its desires, all of its wills, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, Jesus was able to do this because Jesus was aware of what the Father was doing. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these He will show Him so that you may marvel. Jesus understood that the Father loved Him and and the Father loving Him. Jesus showed His love back to the Father saying that I am fully aware of what you're doing. I know your plan. Jesus understood that God's eternal plan of salvation was created in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus is looking at these people, his opponents, and he's saying, Look, I know what the Father's doing because he loves me and he's shown it to me, but get this. God is going to reveal something to you, something greater than you have already seen. And in this moment, He's speaking of the healing of this paralyzed man, paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus says, there's something greater that you're going to marvel at that God is doing. He is going to literally blow your mind. And He's speaking about the ultimate destination that He is heading for, and that's the cross and His resurrection. He was pointing not only to our source of salvation, but even His enemies in this moment. Look, if you just open your eyes and your heart to what God is doing, you're going to see that God's will for you is that you would be saved, even in this moment when your heart is so hard towards me. But as followers of Christ, as imitators of Christ, as examples of Christ in this world, we are to be aware of what the Father is doing. Here's some good news for you. Our God is working even in the midst of all this craziness. Here's some better news for you. Our God is in control even in the midst of all this. Our God has a plan and everything is working out according to His plan. And we as God's people just need to be aware that God is working. He is doing it is God who puts politicians in their positions. It is God who allows wars. It is God who allows things to happen in our living room, in our homes. In all things, God is working. The Bible says that all things work together for good. That's because God is working. Because God is good. This is the blessed assurance we have as God's people. No matter what happens... Our God is in control. And He is still working out His glorious plan, His utmost desire for us and for all of creation. He is still over it, in it, and around it. He's working all things to His ultimate design. And He has invited us as His people to be a part of what He is doing. What an incredible invitation. God has invited you and me to be a part of what He's been doing since creation and He will continue to do until all things have come to pass. So how do we be a part of it? Well, we follow Jesus' next example, verse 21. It says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Jesus gives life. This was a huge statement by Jesus Christ. And and in 2021, we can read it, just what Jesus says, and not understand His original audience and what they were hearing. See, the Jews, they understood that God was the only one who created life. God was the only one who sustained life. And God is the only one who could provide life. And in this moment, Jesus is making one of the biggest statements concerning his equality with God. Because raising dead people, according to the Scriptures, can only be done by the presence of God. And Jesus gives life because He is equal to the Father. Verse 21 and verse 24 of our passage is speaking not of just a resurrected life to come, but a present resurrected life we live in today. 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me, has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life here's the question have you heard the words of Jesus Christ and God calling out from the heavens and have you accepted it yourself that Jesus died for your sins he rose again and you are now his child have you heard his voice and accepted it If that is the case, then you're not waiting for the resurrection. According to what Jesus teaches in the moment, you are presently living in the resurrection. God has already passed you from death into life. You are no longer under judgment. This is the life that Jesus gives. He removes all of our judgment from us, all of the wages of our sins. And because he did this, it means we are to speak life. We don't have the power that Jesus had, but we represent the One who does. See, we speak life by speaking the Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is living and active. So if you need to speak life, you speak God's Word. We have been trusted with the Holy Spirit and the message of the Gospel. We speak life by speaking Jesus. You speak life by giving Jesus to people. We deliver His message, which is His gospel, the good news. The Bible says it is only through the Word of God. Not through our arguments, not through our debates, not through our questions, not through our theological training. It is only through the Word of God to which an individual can move from death to life. That's it. And God has entrusted every one of His believers with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so we could be the light that shines into the darkness to speak life. The only thing that's going to change this nation and this world is the Word of God that is found in this book. That's it. And God has commissioned us and given us the power to do it. We are the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus was able to do this because Jesus has God's authority. Verse 21 through 22, the authority Jesus has through the Father is to give life and to judge life. When you read the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, that means He is the beginning of life and the end of life. So when you come to Revelation 21, when Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end, He's saying that all things in life, every aspect, are enclosed by me. They're enclosed in Jesus. He is our beginning and He is our end. He is our everything because He has the full authority of God upon Him. And so our entire life is to be hemmed in by Christ. He is the bookends of our life. He has to be our beginning and our end of every single day. So we can speak life and we can be in His authority because at the end of Jesus' ministry, He does something incredible. Something outlandish. By the authority that was upon Him because of the Father, Jesus commissions His followers, you and me, through His authority. Matthew 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does He do in that authority? He tells us as Christians, Go therefore and make disciples Of all nations. The authority God gave His Son authorizes us to speak the words of life so others can be found in Jesus. And we speak because we know that there is a coming judgment when all people are going to stand before the Father and they are going to be found in Christ or without Christ, in life or without life. So we have been given authority through the power of the Holy Spirit, or through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, to speak the life of Christ into this world. If you've ever been ridiculed for inviting people to church, if anyone's ever told you to shut up about talking about God and about Jesus Christ, or if they've ever asked you, why is that all you ever talk about? First, praise Jesus if that's what they say to you. But if they keep saying, why do you keep inviting me to church? Why do you keep talking about God? Why do you keep pointing me to the Bible? You say, because God has authorized me to do so. That's why I'm here, and that's why we're friends. Because God has authorized me to speak life into you. And this is the only life I know. Because of Jesus' authority, because Jesus gives life, because Jesus is intimate with the Father, jesus is to receive honor look in verse 23 that all may honor that word honor means to revere or to have reverence that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him jesus is to receive honor our reverence our worship one commentator wrote that if we are not amazed by jesus then we, like these opponents, have not yet really seen him. As I mentioned, the word honor means reverence. It's to speak of a heart of worship, a heart which is in awe of the Father, and all the Son, and all of the Spirit. Just did this the God who needs nothing from us has given up everything for us so we might be completely His. The God who needs nothing from us has given everything up for us so we might be completely His. I think we remind her sometimes that God did not have to save us. God did not become more God because He gave the gift of salvation. God didn't need us in order to be God. He did not need to save us. But the Bible reveals because God loved us and loved us before we were His Loved us while we were still His enemies. Loved us while we were opposed to the very nature of who He is. And if God, the Almighty God, the Alpha May, can love us while we were still in our sin and opposed Him, then He is worthy of our honor and love now that we know Him, and even better, now that we are known by Him. He deserves our honor. So we honor God by worshiping and trusting Him and living a life of faith, of following The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So our honoring of God is living a life of faith. And that life of faith calls us to imitate Christ who saved us. It's to be a Christian, a little Christ. It isn't about worship it isn't about church it's about a lifestyle that our life would show and shine into the darkness of who christ is we bring glory and honor to god because he alone deserves glory and honor by doing this, we follow the instructions of jesus in verse 24 whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life jesus's word is to be heard and obey therefore we are to hear and obey god's word just want to read some scripture to you because it's living and active. Jesus said in Matthew 7 24 Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did you hear that? Hear these words and does them. James chapter 1, 22 through twenty five says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, for if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. We do this so we can be imitators of Christ, to walk as Christ, to have the mind of Christ. It shows our dependence upon the Father, our desire to do His will. It enables us to be aware of what God is doing in this crazy world. And it enables us to have the abundant life because we live under His authority. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, that word abide means to remain. And it's not like just resting or laying down in it. It takes an active part on our life to remain in God's word. He says, if you do this, if you remain in my word, abide in it, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Manifest means I will reveal myself to him. He will be fully aware of my presence. In John chapter 14, verse 21, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, or make our dwelling with him. This is the imperative in our Christian distinction, is that we are to imitate who Christ is, and therefore remain in Christ. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The message of this text is a call to be different as Jesus Christ was different. It is the Christian distinction. Christ has saved us to set us apart for himself so that we might show this truth out of the way we live our lives. So the question we come before God as believers is how distinct have we been? How dependent have we been? How much have we been living in God's will, in His desire? When we watch the news, when we look out at the world, can we see and are we aware of what God is doing? In our life from Monday through Sunday, Are we speakers of life? Would people look at us and say, that's an individual living under the authority of God? As we go about the rest of our day and the rest of our week, do we go about praising God, giving Him the praise that is due His name? When we hear God speak to us through His Word, either on Sunday morning or in our daily devotions, are we not only hearing God speak, but are we obeying what God is putting before us? Because these are the distinguishing marks of a Christian. This is what separates us from this world, that we're different, and that's God's will. Maybe we're here and we're like, man, that's a lot. Why in the world would I want to do that? Look at 28 and 29, we'll wrap up here. Jesus says, do not marvel, do not wonder, do not be in awe at this. For an hour is coming. And notice he doesn't say it has now come, so he's speaking of something that's going to happen. An hour is coming when all who are in their tombs, that word tombs means graves, it's speaking of those who are dead, who have passed on. They will hear his voice, verse 29, and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now this passage isn't saying like I've got to do good things in life, otherwise I'm not going to be saved. It's saying that because I am saved, I produce good things out of my life. That's the fruit I bear because I'm a follower of Christ. I'm imitating who He is. And Jesus said that all those who have passed on before Christ returns, which He's going to return... And when he returns, he's going to call out with a voice, and all those who have passed on are going to come out of their graves. And he says, there are only two end results. You are either going to receive the resurrection of life, or you're going to receive the resurrection of judgment. So why in the world would I want to do this? Because everyone in your life, everyone that's in your sphere of influence, is sitting either in the resurrection of life, or the resurrection of judgment. That's it. There's no black, blue, red, green, white, Hispanic, there's nothing. Resurrection of life, resurrection of judgment. There's no economic status, there's no marriage status, relational status that comes before God. Resurrection of life, resurrection of judgment. That's it. And so you say, why would I want to do that? Because I want to be the example of Christ to their life so they can see life coming out of me so they receive the resurrection of life because the resurrection of judgment means they will be cast forever from the presence of the loving Father into a place called hell where they will remain for et- until God does hell away with forever. But resurrection of life means we did a new life in Christ. We did to live it now. and We did the promise of eternal life and we did a new body with Him. Where are you today? Are you living in the resurrection of life? Or are you still living in the resurrection of judgment? Only two ways. Only two answers. You're one of them. And right now, God is calling out for you to hear His voice, as He says in verse 28. To hear His gospel. If you're unsure, here's what you need to know. God created you to be in a relationship with Him. He created you to belong to Him. That's why you were created in His image and His likeness. But you, like me, and everyone here has a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is separating us from God. And if it's not dealt with, it will separate us from God into eternity. And we can't do good enough things to remove it. Jesus Christ came in the full authority of God to die for the sins of this world and to rise again, that whoever would believe in Him as their Lord and Savior would be saved. And if you believe that in your heart but have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, see, it doesn't matter if it's your mom or dad's, grandma or grandpa's, it doesn't matter if it's your mother's Savior. If Jesus is not your Savior, you're living in the resurrection of judgment. And God is calling out to you through His voice to have that change today by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It admits to God that you are a sinner. It believes Jesus died for your sin and rose again. And then it confesses to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word confess means to make it audibly known. This is why we come to the time of invitation. I'm going to be standing down here, and if you're not sure, if you're uncertain, let's get that sure today. Coming down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be sure that I'm saved. Maybe you're here and you've been like me and realize there's some things that are not matching to what Jesus did. I'm not being a good imitator of Him and I need to repent of those things. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father and repent of those. We're coming to this time station we're Nick, Bridget, are you coming too? Let's pray over you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. That is by your grace and your mercy you won't leave us and where we are but you continue to transform us more into your likeness. Lord, we want to be imitators of you. We want people to see you in us, in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, in our reactions. So, Father, help us to look to Christ and let him be the example we should follow. Not what this world says, not what this world defines as as popular or accepted, but, Lord, what Jesus Christ did, and let us align our lives to him. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who just has that uneasiness in their heart, your Spirit is just working on them. Lord, don't let them stay where they are, but let them come down the aisle and let it be known they want to be saved. We come before you now not to just be a hearer of your word, but to be a doer, to apply it. So let us be faithful in what you've laid on our hearts. pray us in the name of Jesus. Amen.